Well, good morning. We began the series by uh, playing my favorite card game. Remember what that was? Didn't that help a little? Texas Hold'em, come on, you know. And we talked about in life how, how we all have a great gamble that we can take. We really have one of two gambles. We can take the gamble of living life for self, serving self, or we can take the gamble of living life and serving Christ, serving self or serving Christ. And when you take the gamble to live for self, you know, for my happiness and it's what I want and it's all about me, you know, and, and self-gratification, kind of like the path that Solomon went down, remember talking about that, and kind of like the path of a guy by the name of Sheen, what's his name, you know, Michael Sheen, Charlie, yeah, Charlie Sheen, and Michael too, that was his dad, but uh, Michael wasn't the path as Charlie, thank you, Brent. Um, and when you take that path of self-gratification, self-gratification leads to self-absorption. And self-absorption leads to self-destruction. And self-destruction leads to self-denial. I don't have a problem. And self-denial leads to an empty life. So you can take the path of serving self and living for self, and, and you're not happy if you don't get your way, or you can choose to take the path of picking up the towel, the humble path of being a servant, the path of Jesus Christ, serving Christ, and by serving Christ, you serve others. Now, last week we talked about how when you make that choice to serve Christ and you pick up that towel, that God gives you a gift. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, who comes and lives inside your life? What's his name? Well, Jesus, but, you know, Brent taught this last week now, and I thought he did a really good job. What, what's the name of the guy that comes and lives inside of the life of a Christian? Holy Spirit, yeah, so you guys were here, and uh, Brent did do a good job. First service didn't think so, but the second service, they remembered. And when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, he gives us a gift. He gives us a spiritual gift to help us live our purpose which is to serve Christ by serving others. So today, I'd like to begin, and we want to kind of dig in a little deeper in talking about serving others. We want to talk about um, the power of serving others, the, the power of doing good. And this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to kind of read to you the story of three people. And as I read the story of three different people who gave their lives to doing good, who gave their lives to serving, if you know the answer, I want you just to kind of maybe whisper it in the person sitting next to you. That's kind of like a nice way of saying don't yell it out, okay? All right? First person. At the age of 29, he was a successful stockbroker in London, and while vacationing in Prague, he had an intuition about the coming fate of the Jewish children there. So he took it upon himself to do something about it. He organized one plane and seven trains and largely transported, smuggled 669 young Jewish children to Britain at the risk of losing his own life. Today, there are over 5,000 descendants from those 669 children that were rescued. For nearly a half a century, 50 years, he did not tell anybody, including his wife. In 1988, she discovered this old leather briefcase in the attic and found in it a scrapbook documenting his unique mission. He has become a national hero in Prague, and it was knighted by the Queen Elizabeth on March 11th, 2003. Who is he? Who is he? 
Nicholas Winton. All right. The next person. Some of you aren't doing so well. Uh, the next person. You ready? You ready? 1875. He was a child of a Lutheran pastor. He became an acclaimed organist. That's like saying he's a rock star today, okay? Playing the organ was really big time back in the, in the 1800s. He became an acclaimed organist and a worldwide authority on Bach by the time he was 30. Later, he earned a doctorate in theology and a, and a doctorate in, in philosophy. So he had a THD and a PhD. And then in 1905, he enrolled in medical school so that after receiving his degree, he would no longer, I quote, merely talk about the religion of love, but to put it into practice with his hands. So this guy's got a THD, a PhD, and now he's got an MD. And in 1913, he and his wife moved to Africa to build a treatment center for under-resourced Africans. He stayed there for the rest of his life. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1952. Who is he? Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Now, how many of you are batting two for two? Anybody's got two for two? One, two of you got two for two? That's not good. Okay, uh, Brent, but you were here the first service. How many of you are batting one for two? You got one of the two right? No, don't lie. You're in church. Okay, raise your hand. One for two. All right. How many of you have got uh, zero for two? Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I really feel bad. You don't want to strike out in church. You'll never be allowed to come back again. So the pressure is on. You've got to get this one right. All right? You feeling the pressure? Who is this woman? She was born the youngest of three children in the former Yugoslavia in 1910. She joined a youth group, and by the age of seven, she knew that she wanted her life to be God-guided. She became a high school geography teacher and was promoted to high school principal in 1944. But her career there was ended because she contracted tuberculosis. In 1948, she started an unofficial school for young children in the slums. And she combined teaching and medical care to nurse them towards health. In 1950, she rented a house with her own money so that people who were dying in the streets could be transported there and die with dignity. She was one of the earliest pioneers of treating people with AIDS before the disease even had a name. She received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. She died a household name in 1997. Who is she? Oh, some of you struck out. I'm so sorry. Who is she? Mother Teresa. Three ordinary people who most of you don't even know their names, who marked this world and marked countless numbers of people because they made the simple choice every day of their life to pick up the towel of being a servant, and they chose to do good. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me over to uh, Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus comes after 1 Timothy, electronic device, whatever. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Now, Titus was a Gentile convert. He traveled with Paul around to do his missionary journeys. And as they were coming by this island, um, what's the name of that island, Brent? Crete. Island of Crete. It was a Greek island, a large island. And Paul left Titus there. And Titus kind of became like a, a bishop you know, for lack of a better word. He was the pastor to the pastors of all the different churches on this island called Crete. And now Paul is writing Timothy, kind of like he's coaching him. He's giving him direction. So that's where we are, Titus chapter 3. And let's begin reading 
with verse 8. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, Titus, what I'm getting ready to tell you, this is important. You can trust it. You can bank your life on it. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to, what's the word? I want you to stress these things. I mean, this is trustworthy. And listen, Titus, you need to stress it. So that those who've trusted in God, those who've put their faith in God, those who are Christ's followers, may be careful to devote themselves Man, you need to teach these things, you need to stress these things, and people need to be devoted to this. We talked about two weeks ago in the, in the game Texas Hold'em, it comes a place in the game where you go all in. Paul is saying, Titus, this is important. You need to call the churches, you need to call Christians to go all in on this one. To go all in. And what is it he's called us to do, go all in on? To devote ourselves to doing what? To doing good. To doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Everyone. Every one of us. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Titus says, remind the people. Paul says, remind the people to be ready to do whatever is, what's the word? Say it. Good. I need to be ready. You need to be ready throughout my day to do good and to do all the good you can. I need to do good. Unfortunate thing, sometimes I don't do good. Sometimes I do bad. True story, about five or six years ago, I was kind of in a hurry, and I came in the back way at McDonald's, and I was driving to get into the drive-thru because I was in a hurry, and I came in the drive-thru, and I kind of did like a U-turn to get in line, and as I did that U-turn, I came in front of this guy in this pickup truck, and he wasn't too happy that I got in front of him in line. Matter of fact, he started honking his horn. He rolled out his window, and he started screaming at me. And then he took his Ford truck, and he bumped my new, to me, my father-in-law passed away, and I received as a a donation, I received as an inheritance. Uh, That's church language, donation, yes. I received as an inheritance uh, his car, a Lexus. And so this guy in this truck takes his truck, and he bumps my car. And me being a pastor and wanting to do good, I, I just started praying for the man, right? No, I put my car in park. I opened the door and got out and said, come on, man. You want a piece of this? Let's go right now. Come on. (laughs) And that's what I did. I'm not proud of it. I mean, I was acting like a moron. I was willing to fight for my place in line at McDonald's. I mean, pastors shouldn't be at McDonald's. It's like being at strip clubs. That's the last place pastors should be at is eating bad food like that. And I want to fight this guy because of my place in line at McDonald's. I didn't do good. I did bad. Now, I could have got out of my car and said, listen, I'm sorry, I was in a hurry. You know, let me back your truck up and you can go in front of me and I'll get behind you. And that guy would have thought, wow, Mother Teresa's still alive. You know, it's amazing. You know, I want to do good, but sometimes I don't do good, I do bad. Just the other day, two weeks ago, there was a, a, a friend in our church and his son made some bad choices and, and I was trying to help my friend out and his son needed a place to stay because he made some bad choices. So when you make bad choices, kids, you have to come live at the pastor's house. You don't want to live at the pastor's house. That's a bad thing, you know, because uh, you have to do chores 24-7 at the pastor's house. And, um, and so we were trying to work it out for my friend to allow his son to come stay at my house. 
And, uh, and we needed to contact the Department of Children's and Families, and we contacted them and talked to them, and they needed to do a background check on my wife and I. And, and I was talking to this, this gal um, who was in charge of watching over his son, and, um, man, I just, we couldn't connect. We couldn't communicate. I had a hard time understanding what she's saying. She said, when were you born? I said, well, 58. She said, 2058. I said, no, 1958, okay? 1950, not 1858. I'm not 155 years old. I'm 55 years old, 58. And she said she was going to be coming by, picking up uh, my friend's son's clothes and bringing them to our house around 7 o'clock. And, and my friend was over at my house. My wife and I, we had an engagement that night, and so we went to the engagement. We're coming back home. I called my friend and said, hey, is she there? You can leave. We're on our way home. I'm sure he'll be all right. And um, he said, no, she hasn't even showed up yet. You know, so I'm frustrated. I get on the phone. I call her and said, you know, you said you're coming by. Where are you? Are you coming? And, you know, and I had a hard time understanding her. And she said, I'll get right by. And I hung up the phone, and I was frustrated, and I shouted out, and I said it. I don't think I normally would say that. I'm trying to cover up my sin, by the way, there. But anyways, I said, she is such a moron. And my wife looked at me, and she said, just like Mother Teresa would, she said, you should not call anyone a moron. I said, honey, you're right, but she's a moron, (laughs) you know? And then sure enough, about 10.30, she finally gets to our house, and she comes in with these bags of clothes and different stuff, and, and, and I go out to meet her, and I'm nice and pleasant, and I reach out to shake her hand, and I shake the hand of like a, a cluff. It was like not a hand. And it became obvious to me that she had a birth defect, and she had a speaking disability. And when she left, I felt like crap. I really did. I felt like crap. Here's this woman who's got serious disadvantages, and she's trying to make it. She's trying to work a job. She can't hardly talk and understand other people, but she's trying to make a living. And I'm sitting around judging her and making fun of her. I wasn't really making fun of her, but I was definitely judging her and thinking less of her. I was trying to do good. I was trying to help my friend out. And in the process, I was doing bad. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 14. Our people must learn. Here, Paul's saying again, listen, our people, the church, you, we must learn to do what? What's it say? Devote ourselves. In other words, we need to get all in. We need to devote ourselves to doing what is, what's the word? Good. In order to provide for the urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. See, when I choose to do good, when you choose to do good, you live a productive life. You live a life of purpose. And Paul is saying, listen, don't squander your life living just for yourself and getting up in consumerism. Don't live your life serving yourself. Live your life serving others. Live a productive life. Now, right about now, some of you are thinking, well, you know, why should I do good? Why should I do good? If I go out of my way to do good to someone, they're just going to take advantage of me. And yes, you're right, they might. But you should do good. You should choose to do good because it's the right thing to do. It's the God-honoring thing to do. It's God's desire. It's God's destiny for your life. If you are a Christ follower, to do good. Look what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for we are God's, what's the word? 
We're God's masterpiece. We're God's masterpieces. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. No, say it like you mean it. You're a masterpiece. Some of you are thinking, yeah, you're a piece, all right, but we're trying to do good in church even, all right? You're a masterpiece. He has created us, and what's that next word? How has he created us? You get this? Anew. He created us once. Now he's creating us anew. Anew in Christ Jesus, so we can, say it with me, do the good things he planned for us long ago. God created us to do good, to do the good things. One of God's great delights as a good God is to do good. God loves blessing us. God loves blessing his children. God wants to do good. God wants to do good in the world. He is a good God that loves doing good. And you see this way back in Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Let's pick up reading in verse 4. And God saw that the light was, what's the word? Good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. Verse 10. And God called the dry land and the water sea. He called the dry ground land and the water sea. And God saw that it was good. And the land produced vegetation and all sorts of seed-bearing plants and the trees with seed-bearing fruit. And the seeds produced plants and the trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Good. Verse 17. And God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was. And verse 20. God creates the fish and the birds. And it was. Just because it's not up there, you still know the answer. It was what? It was good. And verse 25. God creates the animals. And it was. Good. Verse 26. God creates us with magnificent bodies, awesome intellects. Sensitive hearts, complex souls, and it was good. And then in chapter 2, we kind of get a picture. Chapter 2 kind of supports chapter 1, kind of fills in some of the details. And in chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, it is, what's the word? Not good for a man to be alone. It's not good. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. Wow. You realize that spouse sitting next to you, they are just right for you. God was good. He gave someone that's just right for you, and they might irritate the stew out of you. But God's trying to produce goodness in you, and God wants to use their characteristics to help you become good. That spouse is just right for you. So God created who last? Eve. She was God's masterpiece. He saved his best creation to last. Definitely the most complex, right? All right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Shouldn't have said that. God kind of summarizes, but it was true. Uh, Verse 31. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. God is in the business of bringing goodness into our lives. He's a good God. And then in chapter 3, Adam and Eve kind of messed things up, didn't they? They were impatient with people. They looked down upon people. They chose to disobey God. They did bad things. Bad. And they chose a lifestyle of disobedience, a lifestyle of rebellion. And it brought a lot of pain into their lives and brought a lot of pain into the lives and into this world. So God being the good God that he is, 
you know, he continues to reach out to man. It's called Heil Geshete or sacred history. You read your Bible. It's all about this good God wanting a relationship with his created beings. He continues to pursue us, pursue us, and pursue us. And then God even does something radical. He sends his very own son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, a life free from sin. He was all about good. You read Jesus and you see him constantly doing good, helping, loving, supporting, encouraging. He was all about good. And he was so much about good that he laid down his own life for my bad, for your bad, for your ugliness and my ugliness. So that, please get this, so that we might do good. Now, don't get confused here. A lot of people really get confused here. It's very clear in Scripture that you don't come into a relationship with God. You don't become a Christian by doing good. All right? You become a Christian by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. He's the good one. We're not the good one. We put our faith in Him. Then we put our faith in Him. Then we live a life of doing good. All right? That's what Paul's trying to say here in Ephesians 2.10. Let's look at it again. For we are God's, what's the word? Masterpiece. He has created us. Now we understand he created us anew. He created us once in Genesis chapter 1, and we were good, and it was good, and it was all very good, but we messed up. So now he's recreated us again anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do what? Good things that he planned for us long ago. See, God still wants to do good in this world. He hasn't changed one bit. But, he ha what, but what has changed is he wants to do good, get this, through you. His plan's changed. God now wants to do good through you. As Mother Teresa used to say, we're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Dr. Schweitzer used to say, I love this, keep your eyes open for the little task." Because it's the little kind tasks that are so important to Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why God leaves us on this place, on this planet? You know, once we finally make that decision, we put our faith and trust in him, and he, he gives us the Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit's living us, why doesn't God just let us check out of here? I mean, why don't we just go to heaven and live with a bunch of Christians and have a good time? Why? He has a plan. He has a purpose for you. God wants you to live today to do good, to choose to do good, to quit living for yourself, and to truly live for others. That's why God has you here. That's why God has me here, to do good, to do good. Which leads to our next question is, where should I do good? Where should I do good? Do you remember the story Jesus told of this guy who got mugged in Miami? There once was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Miami, and on the way he was attacked by robbers, and they took his clothes, they beat him. He went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest, a pastor, was on his way down the same road, but he saw, he was, uh, and he saw the guy, and he angled across to the other side. Great pastor, huh? And then a Levite, a religious man, a, pol a politician probably showed up, and he was... Uh, he avoided the injured man. And then a Samaritan, a good Samaritan, someone who has committed their life to doing good. This guy was a different race than the one who was hurt. And he traveling down the road, he came on, and when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. 
Then he lifted him up onto his donkey, and he led him to an inn. He made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I will pay you on my way back. Do you know what Jesus was saying? Whenever, wherever you are, you need to do good. You need to do good. If Jesus Christ is living inside of you, your life ought to be characterized by doing good. If it's not, you need to ask yourself, is Christ living in me? Is Christ living in you? So when you go home today, drive your car in a way that is good. Don't drive like I drive. Drive in a way that's good. And if you stop and get something to eat, treat your server the way you want to be treated. Bring a smile to his face or her face. Do good. And tomorrow when you get up and you go to work, don't take a nasty pill. Don't start crabbing at people, beating them up with your words. Be kind. Pick up the towel and serve them. Wherever you are, be good. Whenever you are. I don't know if that's such a thing. Wherever you are, whenever you are, whatever, be good. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now let's address, I think, the most difficult question of them all, which is how? How should I do good? I mean, to what extent should I do good? Now, I don't pretend to be an expert in this area. I'm trying to make it more and more a practice of my life but I'm not sure to what extent I should always and to what extent I should do good. We should always be good, but how do you know how to do good? I mean, is it the wise thing to do? Is it the right thing to do? Is it the best thing to do? For instance, you see a homeless man on the side of the street. How should you do good? Should you give him some of your change? Should you give him all your change? Should you give him a bill or two? Or should you give him all your bills? Or should you take him home and give him a shower and take him to a halfway house? I've done it all. I've done it all on many occasions. How? How should I do good? Matter of fact, this one guy I brought home, my, my grandmother, and she's still alive. She's like 98, and she's not doing well, and she's... she's she was teaching, I think, up to the age of 78 or something, rather, and she would go in, into the prisons to teach. And she had this one student she really liked, and he got transferred down here, and he was in jail, and then he got out and got in a halfway house. He was going to be on the streets. I found out about it, went down, and picked this guy up, and brought him home, brought him into our house, had three small kids, and it turned out that this guy was a repeat offending pedophile. It wasn't a good thing for me to bring this guy into my home with three young kids. It wasn't the wise thing to do. It wasn't the right thing to do. So how should I do good? This is a tough question. It's a hard question. And if you're wrestling with it, this is a great book. Um, I'm in the process of reading. It's called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. And there's a lot of studies out there. Matter of fact, they found during a time of a good economy, this is probably back about 2005, 2006, they said during a time of good economy, about 85% of homeless people want to be homeless. Now, it's hard for us to understand that, but just think about it. You know, when you, when you own a home and you pay for a home or you rent a home, you have a lot of responsibility. 
And what they have found is often it's a coping mechanism. They would rather not have a home because then they have more bills, they have more responsibility. I mean, let's be honest. Some of us at times, we wish we were homeless, right? You know, you kind of get tired of writing all those checks and paying all those bills and all the stress that goes with it. You know, dealing with all that. So by giving him lots of money so he can stay homeless, am I really helping him or am I hurting him? Sometimes in our efforts of being nice, we're really doing more harm than good. And as a Christian, you know, I might feel better by feeding him, but am I really helping him? Sometimes in our efforts to do good, we're really doing bad. So this is a hard question. I mean, to what extent should I do good? Just the other day, I was coming home. A week ago, this past Wednesday, I was coming home, um, and I was coming out off the 95 on-ramp on the 45th Street, and I saw this guy. He was sitting on his car, and he had a gas can in his hand. And so I pulled my car over, and I, I rolled down my window and said, listen, I pushed my button down and rolled over windows. Those things don't exist anymore, do they, today? And anyways, I, I pushed my button down. I said, hey, you know, hop in. I'll, I'll get you some gas. And he's, he said, no, 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 man. He said, listen, I just lost my wallet at work. I really just need some money. I said, well, I'll pay for the gas hop in the car I'll drive you to the gas station I'll pay for the gas and then you can come back to your car he said no 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 I really just need some money how much money can you give me I said listen I'm not going to give you any money and I said you know what I'm going to do I'm going to pull up over here and I'm just going to call the police and let them come and help you and so I pulled over there began to call the police and sure enough that car that was out of gas started right up and he drove right away <laughs> you know he was conning me and I wanted to do good by protecting other people from being conned by this guy now, please don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean everybody on the side of the road with a gas can is a con man or a con woman, all right? Have compassion. I have come to the place, and I have a hard time. I don't like being taken advantage of. It's one of my, if I have a fear, that's a kind of the only fear I really, that I'm aware of that I have. Um, but I've come to the place of realizing I'd rather be taken advantage of and do good than to have a hard heart that always says No. If God has blessed you and God has blessed all of us with wealth, we all, we've done that before, right? We're in the 1%. We're all here in the 1% in the world. Maybe not in America, but in the world. We are, we are blessed. And if God has blessed you with a lot, this is a hard question. Is how do I do good? How do I take my stuff? Rather than living for my stuff, how do I take my stuff in my life and really do good? And the best answer I have found, and I don't think it's a cop-out, is you need to do good as the Holy Spirit leads you to do good. And I don't need to judge you, and you don't need to judge me. But the Bible makes it very clear that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. He gives each of us a different spiritual gift. Some of you have the gift of mercy. And so God wants you to take that gift and take your unique shape and use it to do good. What is good that you think you need to do? And I don't need to be critical of you, and you don't need to be critical of me. But we need to listen to the whisper, to the voice of the Holy Spirit when he prompts us to do good. To do good. One of the great things about being a Christian is having God's Spirit living inside of us. And Paul says this in Galatians 6.10. He says, whenever, what's the word? I didn't hear you. Whenever. whenever. And whenever means whenever. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good. 
to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. I think it's pretty clear here. We all have a spiritual responsibility to take care of each other, especially those in our church family. And I want to just pause here for a second and just thank you. Because, man, as a church over the years, I mean, I've been the pastor here for 28 years. And I'm telling you, you know, we do a good job. We, we do a bad job in other areas, but we really do a good job here. We try hard to take care of legitimate, sincere, genuine needs within our family. And we have a screening and we have questions. And sometimes people don't get what they want, but they give what we think we can do to help bring about good in them. And I just want to commend you for being generous, for helping, for caring. Right now, we have a great gal who's been in our church for many, many years. I'm sure you've heard about it by now. She was uh, walking down Donna Ross Road. Her and her husband got hit by a car. Her husband ends up dying. Uh, she's drugged 45 feet, and she's in the hospital at St. Mary's. And I see her all the time, and I've just been so blessed by the smile on her face. I mean, she's lost her husband. You know, she's got a lot of complications. And she smiles because of you all. So many of you going by and seeing her. Uh, you know, we got the right of an authority, what do you call it, right of an attorney, and uh, because she has no family here, and we're taking care of her cats and taking care of her, her, her plants. And, and I go there, and I hear her stories of, of what you all have done. We do a good job here, but we need to keep doing a better job. We need to take care of our own, and we need to take care of those outside of our family. We need to keep loving on people and helping people. Matter of fact, Paul puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10. He's talking about when we come to church. So as I read this, let me ask you, do you do this? Did you do this this morning as you came here? Paul's talking about we're gathering together. In verse 24, he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of, what's the word? Love and good works. You come to church not just to get fed. You come to church not just for you and your happiness. You come to church to do good to love people, to encourage people, to thank people, to inspire hope in their lives while they're going down a tough path and a tough journey. That's why we come to church. Paul goes on in Hebrews 13, verse 16, he says this, don't forget to do what? Good. To share what you have with those in need. For such sacrifices are very pleasing to God. It's very pleasing to God when we respond to needs, when we give. We need to do all the good we can whenever and wherever we can, even towards, and this is really hard, even towards our enemies. This is what Jesus said. But to you who are willing to listen, I hope you're willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners do that much. Love your enemies. Do, what's the word? Good to them. It's pretty clear. Jesus understood the power of doing good. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be living the life of doing good, of trying to do all the good you can as the Holy Spirit lives and speaks inside of you. You should be doing good. 
So let me ask you this morning, are you willing to join me this week? Are you willing to join the challenge to go all in, to get serious about trying to do good? Can I see your hands? I'm willing to do good. I want to do good. I'll keep your hands up. And what I'd like you to do, if you've got your hand up, I'd like you to stand up. I'd like you to grab that envelope that you're given as you came in. So if you've got your hand up, stand up. All those who want to do good, stand up. Those who want to do bad, just sit down. That's fine. <laughs> grab your envelope. Everyone got your envelope? All right, now I want you to take that envelope and I want you to tear it open. And you pour it out. And there should be five pennies in there unless you got shorted. All right, if you got shorted, I don't know. You got shorted. Deal with it. And this is what I want you to do. You got those five pennies in your hands? If you're left-handed, I want you to put them in your left pocket. If you're right-handed, you can put them in your right pocket. If you got a dress on, I don't know. I can't relate. You just figure it out. And this is what I want you to do. Before you leave church today, I want you to make sure you move one penny from one pocket to the other pocket by doing good. Like telling the pastor, you did a great job today. You can do that, and you can move the penny over. Or open the door, or being nice to someone as you leave the parking garage and let someone go in front of you. Before you leave today, I want you to move one penny over. By the end of today, you should have done at least five good things, and you take those five pennies as you do good, and you move them over into the right pocket, all right? And at the end of the day, we're not done yet. This is going to go for a week. End of the day, you take all your pennies out, you set them on your dress, you get up the next morning, you don't wear a dress. That's a good thing, Brent, okay? And then you take your five pennies and you put them in your left pocket and you go through your day and you're trying to live like Christ. You're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And as you're prompted to do good, you do good. And as a way of reminding yourself that you're choosing to do good, you take one penny and you move over to the next pocket. And we're gonna do that for seven days in a row. Now, let me give you a bonus. Went to a conference the other day. It was a great conference. And a guy by the name of Adam Grant was there. And Adam Grant, this is a business book, by the way. This isn't a Christian book. And they've done all this research, and they have proven without a shadow of a doubt that those that choose to do good, those that give rather than take, are the ones who get farther ahead in life. They get farther ahead in business. Better bosses, better employees, better owners are people that are givers rather than takers. And you all know, you live out there, and you know you've got some people that are takers, some people that are givers. They've done research on it. And he recommend what he called is a five-minute favor. And a five-minute favor is when you take five minutes and you help connect someone to somebody else, or maybe you write a thank you note, or maybe you go by the hospital or an old folks home and you visit someone and you take more time. Now, if you do a five-minute favor like he talks about, you can take all five pennies and move them over right then. All right? So you can do five good things a day or you can do one five-minute favor and you can move your pennies from one pocket to the other pocket. You may be seated. You're all in, right? We're playing Texas Hold'em together. We're all in. We're all going to do good this week. And as we do good, good things happen. Good things happen when we choose to do good. Bad things happen when we make bad choices. Good things happen when we make good choices. So choose this week to do good. Choose this week to do good because you serve a good God, a gracious God that loves you and he has done good to you. He has given you his one and only son. Can we bow our heads in prayer? And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, can you just pray right now and say, God, help me to do good. God, help me to do good. I thank you that you're such a good God. 
that you sent your most precious gift, Jesus Christ, your one and only son, to die for my bad, my sin. I invite him to come into my life. I ask that you fill me with your spirit that I might do good. Can we all pray that prayer this morning? Fill me with your spirit, God, so that I might do good. Help me to do good. Help me every day for the next seven days to move my pennies. Can you pray that prayer to God right now? Say, God, help me. Help me to become more aware, more conscious of doing good. And for the next seven days, I commit to you, I'm going to wear these dumb pennies in my pocket. I'm going to try to do a five-minute favor. I'm going to choose to live my life and truly be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and to serve God by serving his church and by serving our community, by doing all the good we can. God, it's with great joy that we love you. It's with great joy that we try our best to serve you. God, give us wisdom. Help us know how to do good and help us to listen to your voice and to choose to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.